Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today, as always, we have an amazing guest on our show. He is a corporate consultant and leadership coach. He helps corporate clients reimagine the way work is done. He has written six books on strategy and leadership, including his latest, indispensable, Build and Lead a Company Customers Can't Live Without. He assists his coaching clients to develop the skills that they need to effectively set direction and manage change. His seminar offerings include helping organizations build resilient cultures. Welcome to the show, Jim Kerr. How are you doing there? I'm doing great, Dr. David. How are you doing? Oh, fantastic. Yes. So you are very experienced at this, obviously, with six books. How long have you been in leadership? Yeah, you know, I've been uh, consulting for over 30 years. I started the practice uh, way back when. It sort of <laughs> coincided with um, the launch of my very first book. Uh, and I've been fortunate enough and blessed to have some incredible clients along the way. And I'll tell you what, you know, book number six, uh, sort of sitting there behind me, the indispensable tells a lot of the stories that I learned along the way in those 30 years of doing corporate consulting work. So, right. You know, I, I love, uh, love what I do and I'm continuing to do it. And interestingly enough, there's a lot of interest in the coaching side as well. And, and that's become, um, a, a great uh, part of the practice. Now, with this, uh, what companies have you, have you worked with? What what are kind of a few of the clients you've had? Well, I've, I've worked uh, with the Home Depot. I've worked with General Dynamics. I worked with the Hartford Insurance Company and, and many more. I mean, there's uh, 30 years. It's been just some incredible, <laughs> incredible <laughs> opportunities. And, and um, you know, like I say, I, I enjoy a real... Uh, solid challenge and, and these uh, bigger corporates um, have those kinds of challenges that they want solutions for. So it's been, like I say, a blessing to be invited in and, and, and allowed to, to help them get to where they want to go. Absolutely. Now with working with all these big, large corporations though, and uh, seeing so much different change, what sort of things in the leadership game kind of just irk you, get under your skin, um, or kind of that thorn in the side, or, or kind of make you a little bit angry? What would be those things? Well, you know, I think a lot of organizations are missing opportunities by not providing, you know, vivid and compelling vision uh, stories. I, I think somewhere along the way, uh, particularly corporate America has gotten comfortable with sort of one or two sentence vision statements. And right. they're thinking those are going to compel people to want to be part of the organization and want to do business with these businesses. And I think, um, I don't think that's right. I, you know, if you, if you compare a vision statement from one player in an industry to the next, you're going to see some really heavy duty overlap and you're going to recognize <laughs> no differentiation there at all. So I, I'm a big proponent of, of tell a story, make it uniquely yours, show people how they can be successful by joining forces with you, whether it's as a, an employee or as a customer or as a supplier, as an investor, and, and make it 
so vivid and compelling that they can't imagine doing business with anyone else. And that's really what indispensable is about. Indispensability is about being the preferred, you know, service provider within your, your industry. Now you're saying this basically starts at the top and goes all the way down through kind of the leadership ranks. And, uh, how is this culture produced? I know a lot of companies are starting to kind of jump on the bandwagon that, uh, it's not about the top dog in the company or, or the C-suite. It, it's about the, the individuals. Uh, how do those two theories kind of collide or, or mesh, I guess? Well, David, you know, it, it, here's the dirty little secret. It takes them all. We need, we need right. alignment top to bottom. So you can't single out any one group of leader or one, one management tier and say, oh, these are more important than anyone else. I, I think they're all uh, codependent, mutually uh, dependent on each other to do their thing. Um, so, yeah, I think the vision storytelling, if we just use that as an example, is a great way to set the stage for what you want to do culturally. And then, of course, you have to live by whatever it is you describe. So if you're talking about an open and honest and authentic and empathetic and resilient culture, then right. your leaders have to be all of those things. They have to be empathetic and they have to be authentic and they have to be open and, and communicative and so on. So you gotta you got to walk the talk as well. It's one thing to, to write about it, put it out there, and it's another thing to actually do it. Right. So just for the, the people listening in, what do you mean by a vision story? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's literally um, being able to describe what the business looks like from the inside out. So it's talking about, um, you know, who works there, how they work, what kinds of uh, tools and, and techniques they use to perform that work activity, who they work for, you know, who the customer is, what the products and services are for that, for that they sell or provide to that customer. And, and it really gives, um, you know, in 10 to 15 pages, it, it describes, you know, what that looks like to actually be inside that business and, and, and operate, do the things that need to be done. So they're kind of just painting that picture and making it so explicit that it really resonates and, and sticks with people. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. Because and, uh, you think about it, we learn, how do we learn from a very early age? We learn from storytelling. Right. So, yes. so, so why not use that as a way to, to learn and, and educate and raise awareness about what you're trying to do as a business? Now, what uh, leaders have you worked with and that you've seen this really come through with with what they've they've done? Yeah, there's been some really uh, good ones, some ones ones that have certainly influenced my thinking about it because we saw how it worked. I mean, I can recall working with Danny Deep, who's the president of General Dynamics Land Systems, um, and, and getting that story out there and helping people in the organization recognize the value of it so that they could see themselves being successful by buying in and, and committing to making it work. Um, Jeff Glazier, Jeffrey Glazier is another guy that comes to mind, did a lot of work with him. He's run several software companies. Uh, and we did, uh, when it, when one of his businesses was part of LexisNexis, we, we drove out a, a vision story there. And the way we socialized, it was pretty interesting. We created what amounted to a trade show and okay. we had 
the senior executives, uh, in essence, man each of the booths. So we had six booths, six, six executives, and each one told a part of the story. And then we had staffers rotate through, um, just like you would in a trade show, and, and, and go to each booth, get part of the story, pick up a little logo wear trinket, you know, with the right. logos and stuff. And really build some energy around uh, what the vision was about and help people see how they can be successful within it. And it also uh, showed a level of leadership commitment that, you know, indicated to staffers that, that the top tier was really committed to making this happen. Nice. Now, with the vision story, um, I can and I've asked this question to, to a few of the, the leader guys out there as well um, that really dove into leadership. And uh, what happens, though, using the Mike Tyson quotes, uh, everybody's got a plan until they're punched in the face. Uh, how does that change this whole vision? Because this vision sort of seems like this predeset plan and story that's going to happen. And then when there's disruption to it, uh, what happens to that vision or story? Does it need to be scrapped? Uh, how does a good so. leader take it to the next yeah. next step? I, I, I mean, unless uh, business gets into something totally different um, than the the business that, that the vision story was written for. So in other words, if, uh, I don't know, Amazon got into oil rigging off the coast of Connecticut, a totally different business than anything Amazon's done, then maybe it needs a different vision for that uh, business. But uh, short of that, uh, yeah, you've got to have strategies, which are different than the vision. You have to have strategies that you can adjust, plans that you can um, make mid-course, you know, uh, adjustments within so right. that you can weather those storms. Because sure, it's not going to go, you know, from A to B without challenging us. You know, because you're competing for business in a marketplace where everybody's, you know, trying to get a piece of the pie. So, yeah, there's going to be disruptions. There's going to be challenges. That doesn't mean your vision's bad. It just might mean I have to adjust a, a strategy or a plan in order to achieve it. Makes a lot more sense that way. Yes. So the, these strategies are very important with it, but the culture kind of stays the same, correct? Yeah, and it can be adjusted as well. I mean, depending on what you're talking about in the vision story, if you're talking about reshaping the culture, then you got to make sure you take action to do that. So what's nice about a vision story is it can both look, and as I mentioned at the, at the outset, when you ask the first question here, you start from within and then you work your way out. So it's about being able to adjust what's happening inside the organization so that you can a better better accommodate what's going on in the external environment in which that business operates. Okay. Now, one of the, the fascinating things uh, about reading, reading the book there, of course, was that uh, it's not a book about COVID, um, but it uses a lot of these examples of how things are kind of turned, twisted, inside out. And uh, what have been some of the other changes you've seen kind of in business and society? And are we in this midst of something completely at a different scale or is it similar to, to past events as well? Well, I mean, it, it certainly uh, has an, has had an impact on business. I mean, we, we've seen, uh, you know, governments have to 
offer bailouts for businesses and, and right. offer offer uh, new services for people, you know, within their country and so on. So, so it's definitely made a, a the pandemic has made a lot of um, created a lot of challenges, and as a consequence, businesses still sort of reacting to it and planning, you know, what the future workplace is going to be. So, you know, my guess is things around a hybrid workplace environment is probably a keeper. It's something that we've proven we can still be productive while working, you know, uh, apart. But I also think that 100% remote may not be something that sticks around forever because I think particularly new entrants into the workforce need the coaching and hand-holding and advice and, and mentoring that can only happen in person. So I think there's some combination that we're probably heading towards in the future once the pandemic's well managed and behind us, there's still going to be some impact on the way business moves going forward. Right. What are you seeing kind of as those uh, futuristic uh, type models then, in, in your opinion, and how does leadership tie into that transition then? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... Um, like I say, we're probably heading to, towards some kind of uh, hybrid workplace where there will be work done outside of the confines of an office. Um, but I do think there's also going to be that ability or that requirement to be part of a community. And I think that community building still has to happen. And that's probably going to take place in, um, you know, uh, a hybrid work setting. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing that kind of stuff. Certainly technology's enabled all this. I, I right. can imagine that the technology is going to continue to improve and make that uh, uh, capability stronger, uh, you know, to be able to interact with each other, you know, without being in the same physical space. But I, again, I, you know, there's a, we're social animals. We, we need to be with yes. people. And, and I think that uh, that's going to come to the fore as um, we get, you know, COVID behind us. So with us being these social animals, what about all the people that are kind of following behind right now? Uh, the ones that uh, just are, are struggling with, with this and, uh, and are, are getting left out of the workforce or being pushed out now or probably yeah. causing leaders a lot of headaches too, because they're not able to to be, be under these new models or, or handle this. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's interesting. There's been a lot of stuff uh, written out there. I, I, I've got, you know, just recently written a, a half a dozen articles on this topic about future workplace. And I'm reacting to stuff like, you know, the great resignation. That was a big thing. Everyone's, you know, harping about this. There's articles about, you know, uh, San Francisco workforce leaves for, you know, better. And then New York Times runs this thing. I think it was maybe in March or so. Uh, in mm -hmm. August, it says San Francisco workers are heading back in droves. To, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it, some of this stuff is hype. Some of it's, you know, it, the flames are being sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, pushed out there through media outlets it's exaggerated we're sensationalizing this stuff quiet quitting is another one that i absolutely right. can't stand you know <laughs> uh and i've written about that i, I just think it's silly to, to to be saying that people are quiet quitting you know 
what there what what's always happened in the workplace is it's a bell curve so product the productivity of workers fall in about the bell curve you got people on the front end that really care about what they're doing and committed to career and do whatever it takes and there's a vast majority in the middle that are kind of wait and see and maybe pick and choose what they buy into or not that's 80 percent, let's say of the workplace and then there's this other 10 percent that sits at the other end of the curve and they hide under their desks you know they they don't want to be found out by the boss they don't want a new project to work on they just want to keep their head down and so on so to give it a name, which again, that name originated from TikTok of all places, you know, if we're going right. to create a phenomenon around a TikTok video, then I think we're in trouble. You know, I, I'd rather uh, consider that, yes, we've all lived through this really traumatic experience. Yes, the workplace has been shaken up. Now let's figure out how to get to some level of normalcy so that we can continue to function and be highly productive as a team. You know, right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you're probably seeing this in leadership, though, as well, that there's kind of a bell curve for the upper echelon. And oh, yeah, sure. And that as well. Uh, what are you noticing there kind of uh, with leadership styles or with uh, leaders personalities or their own level of resilience? Uh, what sort of patterns have you picked up? Well, you know, I, I, I think, again, bell curve, you've got leaders on the front end of the curve that recognize the importance of the people on their in their organizations they've always been thoughtful in that way and encouraging and 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 created cultures where people can really thrive there's the bell curve in the middle the 80 percent perhaps that are sort of like some they pick and choose yeah i'm empathetic and i'm a good listener but i also want the work done on time so i expect you to work extra hours to get it done you know there's there's that kind of thing i think that's the vast majority and then there's the 10 percent or so that are awful and they're working their people you know to the ground they always have they always will um and, you know, we've got another phenomenon that we've given a label to, you know, called quiet firing, where we're trying right. to force people out of the workforce, you know, that, at least that's the concept. And again, I think, you know, we've had a history of crummy leaders who do crummy things to people and calling it quiet firing is just, again, kind of kind of silly and, and, and I don't think helpful. Yeah. Now, with kind of these bad bosses, they, and they get a lot of attention. Uh, do you have any stories of working maybe with some of these people or uh, are kind of the, the frustration? I do, but I can't epic? talk. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, thanks for trying to trap me there, David. But no, I, 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 I don't think I can get into that. I have had my challenges with clients that, you know, uh, treated you know, their people and me unfairly. I, I think it's really easy to, to uh, treat consultants badly. Part of right. it we earn, you know, there's a lot <laughs> of crummy consultants out there. And I think it gives a bad rep for those of us that have really committed, like I did, you know, my entire lifetime to being really uh, an excellent advisor to, to top leadership teams. Absolutely. And really, really work my craft there's a lot of for every one of me there's probably five that are just looking at billable hours and trying to make as much money as they possibly can and and those folks aren't uh necessarily doing the um profession any favors by operating that way but as i was saying i mean sometimes yeah, again, so much of it is just uh the individual if a, if a leader is is a good guy they're gonna be uh, thoughtful and, and, and take 
take your best thinking and try to apply it. And if they're not so great, they may end up trying to push buttons and, and do things that are, aren't necessarily on the up and up. Right. So let's go down, down a few levels then. Uh, people coming into the workforce and, and trying to get ahead and going through that initial slog and grind. Uh, what sort of leadership strategies are there out there for, for these up and comers or for the individual solarpreneurs or anyone sort of uh, in a lower seed position? Well, I think anybody that's trying to drive their career forward needs to be, you know, probably a, be willing to, to do a few things. You know, one, one thing is, and I, I share, will share this just because I believe in and I practiced it myself. I've been able to stay, you know, a viable organization now for 30 <laughs> years, primarily on my own, right? Uh, right? Competing against some of the biggest companies on the planet, you know, the, uh, the kind of work I do is similar to McKinsey and Accenture and PwC and Deloitte and all of those really great, solid companies, ones that I admire and, and, and actually some that I've worked for, uh, right. at, you know, uh, in the past, they've been clients of mine. But the, the reality of it is, um, you know, you've got to be willing to do what other people aren't willing to do. So that's one thing. So coddling people and saying, oh, well, you know, my quality of life is more important and da, da, da. Okay, that's fine. But don't try to be an entrepreneur. Right. That's how you think, you know, because it's not a nine to five job. And, you know, I, it's in my head all the time. So it's 24-7, right or wrong, I'm thinking about my business. Um so, so that's, that would be one thing. I think another thing is try to, try to create your own uh, thought leadership, you know, build something that's unique, have a point of view, really work it, create it, you know, like craft your messaging, craft your, what you think about these things. It's, it's that thought leadership that will differentiate you in the marketplace. So potential customers are looking for this. Similarly, if you're inside of a corporate career, what distinguishes you from the next person? It's how you think. You're right. willing to work hard and do whatever it takes. So, so those would be a couple of the things I'd point to and suggest that people think about early in their careers if they're really focused about trying to, to knock it out of the park. Yeah. Now, we mentioned knock it out of the park and uh, kind of the the downside that yeah quality of life is going to be different if you take this leadership approach uh what about the people that are reluctant to lead then because of all the headaches and garbage that comes with being a leader as well uh what sort of uh advice do you have for for that group of people as well um to, well, to I mean, excel it's... Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to know know thyself. I mean, it starts there. You've got to be you know, comfortable in your own skin. And if it's not, uh, if working like the way I described is not your cup of tea, if you're preferring something else, then don't don't focus on becoming the CEO of the company because that's right. not what's you're not going to be able to do that well uh, if you're worrying about. Gee, I worked a minute over today. You know, it's got to be more about. What are we trying to achieve? How do we get there? Let's get it done. Now, similarly, if you can get it done without working 100 hours, then get it done. 
but it's still right. going to be at a high level of quality and you got to be committed and you got to, you got to take it seriously. You can't just sort of, you know, phone it in. And, and that's why things like quiet quitting to me is sort of the more we sensationalize it, the more these younger folks who maybe don't have the experience to know the difference buy into this stuff because they see it everywhere. And all of a sudden you've got sort of mediocrity being the bar that has to be cleared instead of exceptional, you know, leadership. So, right. Now, do you think maybe that the leadership is targeting these people and wanting them to be more of a leader when they're probably not? Um, is there kind of there a lack of people in, in the workforce for that position? Or is it that? Uh... I, don't I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I understand the question. I don't think that's really the case. I, I think there's still a, a good crop of young folks entering the workforce that really have a dream for themselves and are willing to do what it takes to make that dream come true. And I think those have been historically the people that are more successful than, you know, from a, from a career standpoint, more successful than others. Um, and I think that's always going to be the case. You know, you, you've got, I can't teach you how to be ambitious, you know, like right. it, as a person that does a lot of leadership coaching, the folks that I coach, you know, I can't make them want it. They have to want it themselves. Then once they've made that commitment that they're willing to do whatever it takes to, to get, you know, achieve their dream, then I can help them. Then I can show them some techniques and, and reinforce behaviors that are going to help them uh, think and operate in ways that will get them ahead. But isn't part of being a leader to inspire the people that maybe don't want to work that extra little bit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, leaders are about getting things done through other people, you know? Right. So, so yes, uh, that's part of the job. So you and do, a big and, part and, of it. And if you think about it as a leader, if you're 80, if you're looking at a, a bell curve and you know, 80% of your workers are kind of just, you know, some of them are inspired by some things, right. And you try to find out what those things are and use those to inspire. And then, um, you know, there's the high end of that curve that will do whatever you ask them to do because they want to get ahead. And then there were some that just, you know, prefer, they would prefer not doing anything at all. I mean, I just saw an article, I think it was just today where, LexisNexis did a, used a tool that they have to be able to track people's employment. And okay. they found that they had, I don't know, a couple of, at least a couple of dozen people, maybe it was in the hundred, I, I forget the exact number, but lots of people that didn't have one job, didn't have two jobs, didn't have three jobs, had five jobs, five full-time jobs, Wow! all working from home. So what do you think the implication of that is? The implication, of course, is there's no way you could be working, you know, 40 hours a day, <laughs> right? <five> so, <laughs> yeah, so there, so it, you know, there's that going on too, and and you know, uh, I don't care what kind of leader you are, you're not going to motivate the best, uh, uh, you know, uh, effort from someone that's also trying to play this, play the game, you know, play the play system. The system. Yeah. So doesn't that come back to molding this culture and uh, what are the key strategies then with all these things that can take away from that culture to, to have the culture actually blossom and bloom? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot to uh, making sure people understand the vision, see themselves being successful in it, enabling them to, to thrive, um, being able to learn from mistakes. Um, I mean, there's just dozens and dozens of characteristics of solid, you know, effective, flourishing cultures. Um, when I do culture work, which I've done a lot of uh, over the years, you know, it, it, every company's different. It's got a different set of challenges. Uh, there's implications that run from vision to organization design to workflow issues to technology, the use of or lack of use, uh, all the way down to, you know, hiring practices. So it, it all kind of depends on what's going on inside a particular entity in order to develop the kinds of strategies necessary to move the culture from where it is today to where you need it to be in the future. Okay. Now we've concentrated a lot on kind of the, the corporate culture and everything else. Let, let's kind of go back to yourself then. So with these pressures and lead from example type, type approaches, uh, how do you kind of run your consultancy, your business, and keep your health and keep your sanity and build the, the quality of life that you want. Well, I, I think you're getting at resiliency and, 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 and it happens at a personal level. And I also think it's something that can be designed into the culture. My definition of that is comprised of sort of four elements. It's the mental, the physical, the social and the what I call spiritual, but you can think yes. of it as values and guiding principles and purpose. But I think you need all four of those. Those are four legs in the stool. And, you know, on a personal level, I focus on these things. I keep them top of mind and make sure that I'm taking care of myself. I'm self-regulating my behavior. I'm reframing my thoughts. I'm managing the way I talk to myself. The physical side is, you know, I work out. I make sure that I'm eating right, proper sleep, so on. Social, again, it's about emphasizing building relationships you know, and connectedness within the, the, the team of people that I work with. I do so much of my work in a co-creation uh, fashion. So, you know, I get to build uh, really strong relationships with the teams of people that I work with inside the, the corporate companies that I uh, support. And then the spiritual fitness stuff, again, is back about values and principles and purpose. And frankly, I mean, I've worked walked away from a client or two in the past where I just felt like their values didn't mesh with mine. And and I walked right. away from, from being handsomely compensated for helping them achieve something that I just really didn't feel good about uh, working on. So, you know, you got to have that stuff. And I think you can, as I mentioned, you can also weave these into a culture to make it more uh, resilient as well. So it's not just starts with the individual, but you can create a culture where these values are promoted and trained and practiced. So how do you get all four of these legs of the stool to, to stand up at one time? Uh, a lot of people kind of struggle with maybe one, one leg of it or one part of their life and another part's really strong and it's getting all of them to actually come together and, and, uh, build into, into something that's actually going to support you. Yeah. I mean, first I think it starts with awareness. So if we ask somebody walking down the street, you know, what are the elements that make you resilient? If they can't land on those kind of categories, those four 
components of resiliency, then we maybe need to help them understand what it takes to be resilient. So I'd use the definition that I work from. I find it works. I think it's one that's transferable to people and so on. I also think training, I think counseling, I think coaching, mentoring, all those things are ways to help people build out places where they're, they may have weak spots or blind spots. And, and, and that's how you kind of do it. And then you reinforce behavior. You know, you, you, when you see somebody practicing the right kinds of things, um, then make sure you recognize that and, and, and reinforce it. And when you see people maybe operating in ways that aren't as helpful to them or to the organization, then again, do the same thing. You, you provide the coaching and mentoring to help them do it better. And a good, easy example of what I'm talking about is self-regulation. If you see somebody blow up in a meeting, they're not right. regulating. <laughs> they're not self-regulating. You know, they're getting emotional. They're getting wound up. They're striking out uh, uh, to uh, to the people in the room or in the meeting, what have you. So now, so a lot of people might want to coach are, on that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> now, a lot of people aren't going to actually blow up during the meeting but they'll hold it inside themselves and sure. kind of implode later. Uh, how do leaders recognize that or, or coach and reinforce the good behaviors around that then? Right. Well, I mean, I think you have to stay in touch. And, and that's why I think, you know, you've got to get, we've got to get back into the office at some level. I, I think the hybrid workforce workplace is, is necessary for us to get uh, that kind of awareness about how people are actually uh, feeling uh, when they're not expressing it, you know, and that you can only do that by spending time with people, in my opinion. So you got to get get that, you know, will a leader make a phone call after a meeting and, and try to do some coaching or mentoring perhaps, but nowhere to the level that they would if they were in person, because what would happen is you'd walk out of the meeting and you and I are in a meeting, let's say, and I see you do something right. that, that I think you could do better. I might just do the, you know, the proverbial arm, you know, around the shoulder and David, Hey, you know, you got a minute. Let me, let me share some ideas with you. And right, we might yes. go off into the office or into a, into a meeting uh, hall or something and have a little conversation where I could provide some of that feedback and coaching and then try to feed forward, right? Trying to get you to say, look, you know, here's how you might want to do it the next time. That's not happening when everybody's in a virtual work setting. It's, you know, a little bit maybe, but it's nowhere near the way it it, it typically is in high performing organizations when we were all working, working in offices. Yeah. So now these people are kind of left without that coach mentor or somebody to help them through. What sort of advice or strategies do you have for them to help their own self-regulation uh, without this leadership uh, style around them then? Well, I mean, again, it, it's about knowing yourself, being self-aware, trying to work on that. And then if you can identify places where you want to improve, then seek out the help that you need, whether it's a coach or, or asking a, a, someone that you're working with to mentor you or buying a book and getting training, you know, that kind of stuff, or asking for training. And, you know, there's a variety of ways, but part of it is being self-didactic. I mean, you've got to be able to be willing to put in the effort on your, on your own uh, and focus it and not wait for someone to do it for you. You've got to be able to learn on your own. 
Absolutely. Now, is there a physical part of this too, though, when self-regulation gets out of control? Uh, should be people be looking to that other leg of the stool, uh, the physical side to sure. uh, release some of this energy? Then, Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I exercise, you know, it, it, it is a release. It, it gets my mind off of it. When I'm doing pull-ups and trying to get to number 10, 11, 12, I'm, I'm not thinking about some argument I had at work. I'm trying to figure out how do I get my chin over the bar, you know? So, <laughs> so it is a nice, yeah. a nice relief, uh, release, uh, uh, that way. And it, and it also lets your mind, you know, separate itself from, from the work. And I would imagine this is kind of things and uh, kind of strategies you have is the placement of these different kind of pillars or legs in different sequences with with kind of the patterns that you've seen in, in corporate or company cultures, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it takes those four pieces, but they're not always on all the time. It's what, right. you know. It's what you need at the time. And the thing is, if you've got that kind of centeredness where you've got, you know, the mental, the physical, the community, the social, you know, thing and the spiritual thing all kind of working together, then you have what it takes to be able to overcome the biggest challenges you might face in a in a work day. Now, with these biggest challenges, uh, what would be the kind of lasting point you'd like to make with challenges, resiliency, culture, and uh, the, the things that you would consult on, uh, what would you like to leave the listeners with then? Well, I, I guess my biggest advice is, you know, do a little uh, soul searching, see where you are, see where your organization is. So if you're considering using consultants to help you drive a change initiative, consider what you're what you need and what you're looking for in a consultant so that would be kind of one way to, to answer that question if you're looking for a coach similarly what are you looking for you know do you want someone to pat you on the head and tell you you're great or are you looking for somebody to maybe expose blind spots and help you work through things that you know might be weak spots for you so again it's it's about uh, understanding yourself and what you want and what you feel like you can uh, get the most benefit from and I would just say it starts with you as whether you're a, a leader thinking about the organization and looking at getting advisory services from the outside, or if you're uh, an individual looking to, you know, um, get centered and so on. And, you know, then it's, it's another, it's another whole exercise to figure out what you need to, to, to get you there. Excellent. Now, if people want to find you, how can they do that? Probably the easiest way is through the website. It's indispensable-consulting.com. Uh, you can drop an email there. It's jim at indispensable-consulting.com. And, um, you know, reach out. I, you know, if I can help you, I will. Excellent. Once again, I want to really thank you for all the, the amazing advice. Uh, the, the book really puts it into a great framework and people once again if if you're at home or kind of stuck in in these different situations and wanting to to get to that next level definitely pick up indispensable and check jim out and for everybody else stay tuned to the next episode of the hardy brain the show that takes athletic introverted entrepreneurs and leaders 
and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care. Thanks, David. 